This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Push Up Brentford podcast. Push Up Brentford is an oral history project set up to commemorate the last year the club will play at Griffin Park, their home for 116 years. We have interviewed fans, young and old, as well as players and managers to uncover their personal story. We have created a fascinating living history of Brentford Football Club, starring the people who have made it such a special place over the years. This project is run by volunteers, many of them Brentford fans and supported by the art and education charity Digital Works. This episode is called Ballots and Buckets and focuses on the many ways in which supporters have come together over the years to fight for their club. This episode starts with the fans talking about the establishment of one of the first blind supporter schemes going back to the 1950s. Next, fans discuss the key battles that established Brentford as a community club, with supporter groups who fought investors and scoundrels to keep it in West London. There are tales of times when the very existence of the club was in danger as in 1967 when QPR attempted to take over and close down the club. Then there was a threat of a move to Woking and bankruptcy which galvanised the supporters to establish campaigns to protect the club, to stand for local elections and even to take direct ownership of the club for a time. It is perhaps this militancy, this willingness to stand for their club, that makes Brentford FC what it is today. We hope you enjoyed the many voices and stories you will hear. I have been asked why I'm a Bees fan and I said, well, there's two, two answers to that. A, because the football ground's in my road and why would I bother to go and watch somebody else when I've got a, a professional club on my doorstep? And I said, more than that, they have a blind scheme so I can actually go, sit in the crowd, enjoy the game like anybody else, um, but I've got, a, I've got a commentary in my ears. We were the first to actually have... The commentators and the blind folk around with earphones on. My dad worked with a gentleman and they just got chatting one day uh, about football and um, blindness and one thing and another. And this guy said, and and the gentleman's name is George King, who was one of the founder members of the blind scheme, said, well, why don't you bring him along to a match to see whether he likes it? Um, the match was Brentford versus Aston Villa on the 4th of February 
1953, uh, I fell in love immediately with the commentary system, the roar of the crowd, although we lost 2-1, uh, and um, the rest is history, as they say. When I was about 14, I somehow met or got introduced to the man who ran the blind commentaries, the commentaries for the blind. And he said, would you like to help out on match days? And I said, what does it involve? He said, well, you come on the bus with me and one other person and we go around picking up blind people. We take them into the ground. Uh, there's a commentary on the first half. We then give them tea and biscuits at half time, and then commentary on the second half. And then we take them back again. And I said, yes, that will be fine. So I think I helped him out for two years or so. I can remember, you know, the then chairman of the club, Jack Dunnett, um, been elected as an MP in Nottingham, wanted to take over Notts County, wasn't allowed to own two football clubs, obviously, so wanted to offload Brentford and go to Notts County. Did a deal with the owner of Queen's Park Rangers, um, and the proposal in January 67 was that QPR would take over Brentford and play at Griffin Park, and the club would cease to exist. And the fans were in uproar. And no one was in any doubt that this was going to be a takeover by Queen's Park Rangers, the bigger club, and that Brentford would therefore become, would, would die as a football club. Brentford player at the time, Alan Hawley, also remembered the threatened takeover. I, I, I didn't think you could do things like that in, in football. I was looking at the scenarios, and, and somebody said that um, if, if they do come in, they won't keep many players. Um, it, it was going to be uh, Peter Gilson, me, and somebody else that they wanted to keep. And, and so the club here <laughs> were desperate, desperate. And that's when we had the walk, the London to Brighton to London walk um, overnight to raise money and funds. It's for the club. We were asked if we wanted to do it. We did it. Tommy Higginson and, and all, the, all the rest of them. Um, and uh, we went down to Brighton uh, and we started to walk back. And I, I forget where we were, but we, it was the early hours of the morning and uh, we saw a milk float and uh, went and asked him if he, we could buy a bottle of milk off of him. Yeah, we, we did we did that. Uh, we, we met up with fans, uh, 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 and then they, they moved on, and we found another milk float further down the road, and that's, that's how it went, until somebody came and picked us up. And that was quite a, a stunning thing to me, because up to that time, I was just come to football to watch a game of football. I hadn't realised there was quite so much going on beneath the waters, and... Um, it was quite formative to me because it, it showed me what supporters can do because it was a supporters initiative that really saved the club at that time. But I remember the talk that was reported of supporters saying, this is wrong. You know, wealthy individuals owning football clubs and being able to put the whole future, decide that they're not interested anymore and put the whole future of the club in jeopardy is wrong, it's our club, the supporters should own it. Now that didn't happen, the club fortunately was rescued by a consortium of businessmen with Brentford at their hearts. Uh, 
But I always remembered that idea that the supporters should own the club. Following Brentford's relegation from the second tier in 1993, well-respected manager David Webb was put in charge. After building a team that could challenge for promotion again, things started to go wrong as he was given the opportunity to have a stake in ownership of the club. I loved David Webb. I loved the team he built. And so when it started to turn sour, when he started to asset strip the club, it was really, really painful. It was, it was you, you were kind of being let down by somebody who should be looking after the club because he ended up buying the club and had it for a year before selling it on. And, but he was only able to get hold of the club by asset stripping and destroying everything that he'd built. Um, there was a lot of unhappiness going down. And, uh, you know, at that time, I'd sort of kind of, I, was, I was working with Lady on Besotted uh, and we were doing, a, you know, a lot of stuff to, uh, uh, to, to try and combat and to out Webby, who was a little bit of a scoundrel, I suppose is the best way is to be said, you know. So uh, again, you know, it's well documented on the things that he was doing and other people would be able to tell you, but you know, our job because, you know, Besotted was a, was a media outlet and um, it was at the day, it was fanzine day, so we, you know, press up stories, you put them out, you press them up, people would, you know, buy them in their droves and that's how the word got around. There was no, you know, there was no internet really back in the day. There was no kind of, you know, social media or stuff. So that was the way for this um, alternative information to come out. So Besotted um, and Bias, which is something Besotted helped form, um, was central or kind of at, at the, the centre of the Dave Webb protests. Um, it was. It wasn't a. It wasn't um, a nice time at all. And um, there were threats. There were. There were. There were some thinly veiled threats of violence made against myself and some of the other people that were involved in that. By some of the people involved in that. One day where we decided we'd had enough of Webby. So one of our mates, Bill Lambert or Lambrisco or Lulu, as a lot of people know him, he's a brilliant artist, right? So what we said is like, right, we're going to do something with Webby, um, Lulu. Can you, can, you, can you paint something for us? So what he did as his work, him and Steve Bones, they created this brilliant piece of artwork, which was on the side of an advertising um, hoarding truck. You know, so one of those ones that just drive around town. And what it was, it said, you know, Valentine's Day Massacre, right? And it had this picture of Webby in this kind of gangster outfit. I think we had sort of kind of machine gun, everything like that, you know, with blood coming out. So he made this sort of Valentine's Day Massacre because we were playing on Valentine's We decided there was going to be a protest on Valentine's Day. So this was going to go, um, in, in, you know, along with the protest. And so we, and so the, I remember the advertising hoarding truck pulled up on the Saturday morning really early, probably about eight o'clock, picked up myself, Laney, Lambrisco is inside it, and we drove all the way down to Dave Webb's house in South End. <laughs> and we pulled up outside his house in this advertising truck. And uh, and he's, he came out with his kids because they were playing football. I think they were playing football for some team. And he came out and he chased us. And there's all sorts of malarkey that was going on. He was very unhappy about what was going on with this advertising truck outside his house in Leafy, um, somewhere in the South End it was. 
Um, there was posters up around um, the town where he, he lived. Um, it was fairly direct, if I'm honest with you. Um, but we were really concerned. You know, it was a, it was a time where supporters were what really really worried about how things could kind of get worse for Brentford Football Club. You know, we were on the edge of promotion, and then all of a sudden, all our assets were being sold off, and we were looking like a relegation fodder team. So yeah, it was it was uh, it was a time of concern, um, but but good came out of it. The fans became more organised. Bias still going strong, um, and Bees United came out of that as well, separately and separate people, um, but out of that kind of same um, desire to get organised and protect the club. Ron Nodes bought the club when he was relegated to the fourth tier in 1998 and installed himself as manager. After spending a great deal of money building a league winning side, it became clear that he wasn't using his own money, but saddling the club with debt. Because one of those came from Crystal Palace, uh, he was a wealthy man uh, who clearly wanted to have a football club to play with. You know, he made himself the manager in the first season, which I thought was something you'd see in a bad Hollywood film. Uh, but actually, in the first season, he bought some great players. We got the Herman Hydras and you know the Icelandic you know, Icelandic internationals are that impressive. But he was a really good player. Went on to play in the in the top flight for a long time. So so that I was really kind of pleased with him. And of course, we got out of the fourth. We were champions. But but as uh, the naive Brentford fan, I was more glorying in the fact that we had clearly a very talented side for a couple of seasons. Well, Rod Nodes, brilliant. What he did for Crystal Palace, he's going to do the same for us. First doubt coming in, he said, I'm going to be the manager. <laughs> Not only am I going to be the owner, I'm going to manage the team. What? You know nothing about picking teams and, you know, you, you just play into your ego. Um, but we got promotion. Everyone loved Nodesy. Everyone was into Nodesy. The song was like, he's got white hair and he don't care. Ronnie, Ronnie Nodes, Ronnie Nodes. You know, and that was the song because people sung it. You know, they used to turn up to matches with white wigs on. You know, the final game at Cambridge, we all turned up. You know, we had our boating outfits because we we're going to Cambridge. So we had our sort of Cambridge toff, you know, jackets and, you know, sort of, hello, you know, gear on with our white wigs. You know, went down by the river, went punting, you know, had a few beers. You know, that's kind of what you did because, you know, Ron Nodes was the saviour as far as we're concerned. We went up that year as champions and it was, to me, that was, you know, one of the best championships. I loved that year. It was, it was fantastic. But then a year, was it, probably a year later, a year or two later, it became revealed what was really going on. And the fact is that, you know, we were uh, we were in a lot of trouble. And before we knew it, when Ron Nose threw his toys out the pram and he said, right, that's it. I'm not putting any more money into this club. And by the way, you owe me loads of money. That's when the buckets came out. Once Ron Nodes' plans of increasing the fan base and covering expenditure with player sales and TV money didn't come to fruition, he investigated a ground move as a way to balance the books. Many fans opposed his plan. And his, his plan was to be able to sell players at a massive profit and you know get lots of TV money and build the crowds up to 10,000. And when none of that happened, because ITV Digital went bust, so the TV money had gone, um, so that affected other clubs' ability to pay uh, big transfer fees for our players, and um, we, we were never getting 10,000 through the door, we never got anywhere near it, you know, just the occasional game. So once that happened and he lost interest, 
uh, it was a matter of uh, what was going to happen. Going to the reserve and the youth games, I'd seen what he'd done at Crystal Palace with, is it a Sainsbury's? Um, and I could just, because we owned the ground, which was quite rare as a club, it, it didn't take a genius to figure out why, why Ron Nodes was interested in Brentford. So it was the same thing. It was like, this is not going to end well. So I'm not going to give him my money, which is another reason why I stopped coming at, at that time. So to lose out on actually what was quite a big part of my life, especially growing up, um, it, that was hard to say, no, I'm not going anymore. Um, yeah, horrible times. The next thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we heard about is that he was talking about selling Griffin Park and moving us to um, Woking. Which, I mean, is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, anybody could see that it was a way of getting us out of Griffin Park so he could sell it as he owned the club. He would take all the money and we would be left at Woking and there probably wouldn't be Brentford Football Club for very much longer. So from from being, you know, a, uh, a crowd that was pro-nodes, it was a crowd that was really split. Um, and that was, a, that was another time where fans started to protest we went to Woking and had protests there. Um, no to Woking again. That was a, that was a real threat that we were going to be moved out here, and it was on a never never. We didn't know whether we were ever going to come back. So yeah, it was a tight. It was it was a it was a it was probably more concerning than um, under Dave Webb. Soldiers of the Queen Spion Cup and a thin red line It's what being English means Gone for good Our father's town The great dark labour scheme Thing they ain't knocked down Our father's football team But the officer looked over his left shoulder A look as hard as stone We sing our lives out in the pouring rain You'll never Treat us worse than animals At the terrace and the trough Cops all think we're criminals Even the club shot rips us off But how 
have you stood on Anfield Cup for the working class ballet? Walking back through those moonlit streets takes your breath away. But the officer looked over his left shoulder. Look as hard as stone We sing our hearts out In the pouring rain You'll never walk alone We live and die for Saturdays And when that Saturday came No greater love Than the push and shove At the gates of the Hillsborough game It burst the heart That sea of red And every lad was ours It burst the heart to count the dead The petals and the flowers But the officer looked over his left shoulder A look as hard as stone We sing our hearts out in the Looked over his left shoulder oh, Look as hard as any stone We sing our hearts out in the pouring rain You'll never So what the ABC campaign was about um, was to force the council to protect Griffin Park. Griffin Park could only be sold if we were building another ground in the borough. So that was, that was the campaign, to get the council to put that into law, into local law. I think very interesting, the idea that you try and remind you know, Hounslow Council uh, by putting up elected candidates you know, in favour of um, uh, supporting the club. Uh, I, I think it's very good and I think that relationship between Brentford and Hounslow is, is, is complicated in a way. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that before the ABC campaign Hounslow Council really knew that they had a football club or cared that they had a football club in their borough. So. It's all, all part of the incredible history of supporter involvement at Brentford how the supporters through their various campaigns have, have really been the saviour of this club. We were concerned that there was a deadlock between the local council and between the football club about the new stadium. Whilst Nodes was not our favourite man, we also felt that the council could be doing more. Their attitude was, there's nothing wrong with Griffin Park, you should stay there, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, uh, uh, 
anyone, anyone with any experience knows that wasn't really practical. So we formed a political campaign called the ABC campaign, and we put candidates in the um, 2002 local election, local authority elections in Hounslow Borough. Our plan was to put in a handful of candidates. We put one in a selected number of uh, uh, seats in the uh, Hounslow Borough from Cranford or Bedfont in the west of the borough through to Chiswick in the east of the borough. And we had 13 candidates, no more than one in each uh, ward. Um, and because each voter would have three votes, what we were saying to people was, lend us one of your votes. Even if you're a Labour or, or a Conservative or a Lib Dem, whatever, just give us one of your votes and that will be a sign of your support for the local football club. And um, yeah, it was, it was very successful in as much as it really highlighted what we wanted and what the football club was all about and what an important community resource it was. The, pol- the professional, in quotation marks, politicians were very angry with us at the time. They, they said, you're going to be prejudiced in your cause. Um, and, but we got one councillor elected, and that's the first time ever in this country that a football, a, a football campaign have actually had a councillor elected solely on the back of a, a stadium development plan. And I think pretty much within days, the council attitude did change almost straight away. The Supporters Trust, Bees United, with Ron Note's help, took over the day-to-day running of the club and were eventually able to repay him. Times were hard though and only fundraising and player sales kept Brentford afloat until Matthew Benham got more involved with the club. Bees United was one of the first examples, not the first, but one of the early examples of a supporters trust. And I remember reading about this and thinking, well, maybe this is the way in which those ideas that were mentioned in 67 about the supporters owning the club, maybe this idea of a supporters trust and Bees United in in particular could be a vehicle for achieving that. There have been a couple of experiments with, um, with fans owning the club. Uh, and on the one hand, it seems absolutely right, doesn't it? These are people who are generally love the club itself and, and not just using it for commercial gain. Uh, um, and they were great, weren't they? I mean, we did all right under Bees United, but there's a limit, isn't there? Because actually, you, you, the ordinary supporters don't have the kind of money. You, I mean, owning football clubs is a quixotic thing to do, isn't it? You know, there's not that much money coming in. Ron Nose decided that he didn't want to own the club anymore. Basically, when Bees United started getting involved directly in the running of the club with Ron, in negotiation with Ron Nodes, the club had reached the limit of its overdraft at Barclays Bank. So the club, in Ron's view and other owners before him, just wasn't financially sustainable at Griffin Park. We couldn't earn enough revenue here, either on match days or on non-match days, because of the lack of facilities. He had still had an offer from house, a house builder to develop Griffin Park, and so he negotiated an alternative ground-sharing arrangement with Kingstonian. So it was no to Woking, but yes to Kingstonian as far as the owner was concerned. I think the sale of Griffin Park was only stopped because a previous chairman, Martin Lange, had a 
golden share. He had a veto over the sale of Griffin Park, which he exercised to stop it being sold to the housing developers. So Bees United came into the, the, the club in, in that kind of atmosphere of financial stress and complete existential uncertainty. The environment was one of fans rattling buckets outside the ground. My, my early salary as a 16-year-old not being great, I'd still make, I had a standing order, which I'd give to Bees United every month for about five pounds or something. And yeah, it mattered to, to, it mattered to the club at the time to keep them going. Interestingly about that standing order, I'm not even sure if Bees United is going anymore or, or if it has any influence anymore, but I was doing some long overdue banking admin a few weeks ago and I noticed that £5 Beach United uh, subscription was still running. And uh, yeah, with a heavy heart, I cancelled it. I do wonder who was getting that £5 a month for the last 10 years. It was an incredible struggle. I think probably uh, around the period around about 2006, 2007, that I was on the Beach United board and uh, the, the thing was that we really had to try and prove that the football club could run here on a sustainable level um, and it meant cutting back the playing budget to such a level that it was prejudicing what was happening on the pitch and so that almost becomes counterintuitive because you're driving people away from the football club because the product is so poor but but the club had to meet its it had to cut its cloth accordingly and so it was a real that was an incredibly tough time you know we were there were player we were selling players i think uh significant darren powell on say was sold to crystal palace so we could really much play pay the electricity bill the next month it was it things were as tough as that it really was hand to mouth day to day every penny counted and if we could have a good cup run or if we sold a player for a profit then that's what got us through the season. So things really were on a knife edge. And it was, a, it was an incredible struggle. And I think it was really about that time um, that Matthew Benham was involved in the background as a, he put some money into the initial acquisition from the club from non-nodes. Uh, but he was very much a backseat. He really wasn't getting involved. And I remember thinking, well, Bees United has got lots of expertise in terms of lawyers, finance directors, PR consultants and so on. Lots of volunteer expertise which a football club couldn't normally afford to buy in. But there's one thing we don't have. We don't have anyone who's got a clue about football. And that was rather, I think, probably rather apparent for some of our choices of manager. But so what, what occurred to me was here was somebody, Matthew, who really understood football. And I remember saying to Martin Allen at the time, look, this guy has got a huge amount of information and data that could be really useful to you. You know, it's in the transfer market or whatever it is. But of course, Martin Allen was a very old-fashioned uh, motivator and it never really took and also Matthew was be very busy building his business so for quite a few years Matthew didn't get directly involved. <laughs>
another really proud moment, of course, would have been the night at Hounslow Council when we got planning permission for the new stadium at Lionel Road, because that had been an idea that people had been talking about for more than 20 years. And it was, again, it was the supporters who came up with the idea of wanting to stay in Brentford and looking at all the land around, realising that Lionel Road was probably the only bit of land in Brentford where we stood any chance of building a new stadium. But there were all sorts of hurdles to that. Uh, and of course, one of them was getting planning permission. And so that night on the 5th of December 2013, when the planning committee met for over five hours, I think, and we had several hundred supporters in the room, we had to give out 20-minute presentation, that's all we were allowed, as to why this project deserved to get planning permission. And partly because of all the social benefits and community benefits that the club and the Community Sports Trust brought to the area and we needed to build on and we thought the new stadium would enable us to do, consolidate and, and, and build on that. We gave our presentation, then the local residents groups and the opponents gave their 20 minutes. Number one priority was to get as many Brentford supporters to turn up there and to be as vociferous and to be as vocal as we can to intimidate the opposition, I suppose, if you want to, if you want to put it crudely. And yeah, we, we gave everyone a poster and said, please, when someone's talking, just hold this up that says yes. And on the back, we had a picture of uh, a community event at the club. And it was obviously, you know, trying to emphasise the community benefits of the football clubs. You're sitting there and you've got all these people who are against the stadium using all of their, you know, anti-football fan prejudice and saying all these things. And you know, this awful person, I don't know who they were, started taking Hillsborough in vain and saying that Hillsborough was caused by football hooligans and we were doing this and this and it would all happen again. And oh, all this stuff. And you're there and every bit of you wants to just get up and say, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? How, how can you disrespect those people like that? Never mind us. And all of the, oh, and you're like, you can't do that because of where you are. So you've got this little thing and you're just going, <laughs> this little yes banner and you've just got all these people going, like that. And then we had interrogation from the planning committee members. And that meeting went on, I think, till nearly midnight. And at the end, of course, the decision was that we've got planning permission. So for the first time after over 20 years of people talking about the possibility of a new stadium for Brentford, here we were, had, we had planning permission from Hounslow Council to go ahead with a 20,000 seat stadium at Lionel Road. And that, for supporters, I think, was a really big event. Again, it wasn't like winning the FA Cup because it was just one step along the way. And all, you know, there was still a lot of hard work and, and a lot of hurdles to overcome before it became a reality. But it was a, nevertheless, it was a huge uh, triumph, a huge milestone to get that far.
football club prides itself on its links with the community and its engagement through the community sports trust has been a source of pride to its fans. I haven't had any dealings with the community sports trust but I've always been incredibly proud of their achievements whenever they win you know community sports trust of the year and stuff like that which everyone I think five times at least it's, it's, a, it's kind of makes you feel really proud that Brentford is one of those clubs that really care about its community, care about the people in its community and want to engage with them. And I think that's, it's always, it's part of being Brentford. You know, you can, you can, you can point to that and you can say, that's what this club is about. And I always feel really proud of that. A lot of, a lot of the pride I feel in the club comes from the work of the Community Sports Trust. When I first got involved, it was football in the community. Relatively small team under the leadership of Lee Doyle, who's done a fantastic job as, as chief executive of the, of the charity. So it wasn't a charity then, it was just a department of the football club. Um, but Lee had the idea to, to set it up as a charitable trust. And I was very keen that Bees United should be involved in that and, and supporting that because the objectives of Bees United as a supporters trust is to bring the club closer to its community and the community closer to the club and to reinforce those social and community values and all the benefits that, that football and the power of football to engage people who, like kids who perhaps aren't motivated at school or are in danger of drifting into crime and so on. Um, the power of football is, is fantastic if it's harnessed properly. And I always wanted Brentford to be a role model, a leading national role model. Now, of course, it's, a, it's an independent charity. It gets a lot of financial and other support from the football club. So it's a very symbiotic relationship, uh, but it's a very strong one. And I think Bees United was a strong catalyst in making that. You know, it could have gone either way, depending on who owned the club after Ron Nodes. It, it could have been an owner who really didn't value any of that stuff. As it happened, Matthew Benham does believe in the community aspect of the club and has given a lot of support to the trust. So we've been really fortunate in finding Matthew in terms of his expertise, his financial power, his commitment to the club, but also his commitment to the community values of the club and the Community Sports Trust. This podcast was presented by me, Jatin Kundupali, and in this episode you will have heard from Mel Collins, Ed Cohen, Brian Burgess, Paul Stedman, Alien Hawley, South Kuriaku, Billy Grant, David Lane, Dave Christie, Brian Godfrey, Claire Paleshka, James McKeegan, and Gemma Teal. The music was written and performed by Rob Johnson. The podcast was produced by Digital Works. The project was funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and supported by Brentford Football Club. Listen to the full interviews and find out more about the project at www.pushupbrentford.org.uk.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.